Trojan fans. It's time for another installment of the Trojan Blast Recruiting Podcast. We give you the inside scoop on everything about USC football recruiting from the experts who know what they're talking about. Which players have an offer, which ones don't, who the coaches like, and who our experts like. And now, here are your co-hosts for the Trojan Blast Recruiting Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher Ryan Abraham and uscfootball.com national recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez. Hello Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday. Today, we're going to talk with Gerard Martinez. Yes, we're going to do a recruiting podcast, talking with our buddy Gerard Martinez, uscfootball.com national recruiting analyst, knows everything there is to know about USC football recruiting. Basically, if you can know it, Gerard knows it. We're going to talk to him. A lot of questions you guys have sent in on USC recruiting, so we're going to try to get to each and every one of those. If you have questions for us, drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. That's the simplest way to get a hold of us. You can also call if you want to play your, you can leave a voicemail. We'll play it on the air. 641-715-3900 is the number. Then dial our extension 816-646. Or you can go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page. You can leave a voicemail from your computer or your device. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, you can get us on iTunes. You can get us on Google Play. We actually have a dedicated URL on iTunes, itunes.com. Slash Peristyle Podcast. Well, without further ado, let's bring in Gerard. What's up, buddy? How are you doing? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Can't complain. You know, I played. A, you know, put up a recruiting video, then played nine holes of golf this morning. So it was all right. How, what do you do? What have you been up to? Nice. Uh, not much. I'm I'm on vacation right now. I don't know if you <laughs> realize that, but uh, so I'm enjoying <laughs> I'm enjoying my vacation. Just doing podcasts and occasional updates of the you know recruiting target list that everybody uh, it needed to be updated. So I don't mind uh, updating that. And I'm sure a lot of these questions that we'll have on the podcast will stem from that update or will stem from uh, previously doing the update uh, because obviously with the camp season and May evaluations, you have a ton going on, and that's really why we can't get to it and update it, you know, during really that month of June where every week we've got something going on. And with the satellite camps, that's just really tripled and quadrupled the amount of events that we had to cover. So uh, it's finally settled down. You know, the opening is kind of the last big hurrah of the camp and seven-on off-season event schedule. And so um, now we kind of sort of settle in and look forward to fall camp and real football. Real football is coming up soon. Yeah, uh, so hopefully you guys have checked out all our coverage from the opening. I know there's some questions from that that we, that we, uh, we are going to be fielding here on the podcast. I'm still putting up, uh, highlight videos from the opening. So we shot a lot of individual dudes, uh, that are targets for USC. So check those out. And then Gerard mentions the target list and these are great resources. So he updates them about once a month. If you go to uscfootball.com up the top, there's the different tabs. FB recruiting, football recruiting is one of the tabs. Go down to offensive targets list or defensive targets list and they have, you can get both of those. Target list if you're a subscriber to uscfootball.com. If you aren't, why are you not? Uh, but anyway, but yeah, go to offensive target list, defensive target list. Gerard up those, updates those like once a week, uh, once a month. Sorry, not once a week. Uh, and they're great, great resources. So lots of good information packed into those charts split up between offensive defense. And if you guys don't know Gerard real well, he's more of a staycation kind of guy. So his idea of vacation is just. Checking the message boards like ten times a day instead of fifty times a day. That that's a Gerard Martinez vacation. 
Pretty pretty much, pretty much. I haven't <laughs> been out of the country since I've uh, I started working for you. So uh, until I actually leave the country, I can't picture myself like completely prying myself away from uh, recruiting and um, people calling me and you know just kind of keeping up on everything. It's it, it's like it's like one of those things. That recruiting coverage is sort of like the mafia. You know, you really can't get away from it. <laughs> it you. <laughs> have to go to like witness protection or something like that to get away from covering recruiting. And now I don't want to get people to get the wrong idea here. Like I've encouraged Gerard to go on vacations, like go away, go, you know, go out of the country, do something. I don't know what it is, Gerard, but there's something about it. You're like, you're just like attached. It's like, you can't, you can't leave it. It is true. This is true. No, I just been too lazy to go and get my passport probably renewed. And then I think about, you know, I'm going to go on vacation and then I'm going to need a vacation from my vacation. Like if I go out of the country, I'm just going to be tired when I come back and jet lag like you usually are. So I've learned from you. I've learned from you. See, Ryan has a vacation and then he has a vacation from his vacation. Yes. He's like, Gerard, I, oh, jet lag just got in. And, blah, blah, blah. and I'm like, dude, you're gone for like two weeks. Now that was your vacation. Now you got to come back right into it. But Ryan's also crazy because he does crazy flights at crazy times, crazy like places, you know, what was that? Like a straight, you know, flight to Australia. (laughs) (laughs) Like just, you know, like, wow, I I, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do just 18 hours, you know, in a plane. I've done that. So, uh, it was like 15 or something, but I've done LAX to Moscow direct. That was on Aeroflot, uh, which is a crappy, crappy Russian (laughs) airline, But but that's, but it's direct. You go over the North Pole. It's kind of cool. And then to Sydney, we took United, which was a great flight to, you know, to Sydney, Australia. Um, even the one we, you know, we went to Bora Bora. It's an eight hour direct flight from LA to, uh, Tahiti. And then you take a, a small flight, you know, a small airplane to, to Bora Bora. But it's nice being in LA because there's just so many direct flights out of there. Everyone we met, all our couples we met going to Bora Bora. They're coming from like South Carolina or Wisconsin or something. They all have to fly to LA and then make a rate, like make separate arrangements to fly to LA because all the packages are like LA to Tahiti and then to Bora Bora. So it's, we live in a good place, Gerard, to, to fly out and go explore the world. We got to get you out doing that. There you go. Well, I don't know. I feel like Los Angeles and Southern California is sort of like exploring the world. Everybody <laughs> ends up coming here anyway. So it's like, why go anywhere else? I'll, I'll end up here anyways. I'll meet them eventually. That's a, that's a fair point. All right. Well, that's a little too much probably behind the curtain of what's going on. But just Gerard's a very hard worker. We really appreciate all he does. And I just want, you know, encourage him. Send him an email. Gerard, go take a vacation. Get, get some time off. Um, this is true. Ryan does, though. Ryan does, does, you know, encourage me. Like, dude, you need to, you need to go somewhere. You need to do something. I'm like, no, nah, I'm just, I'm a loser. That's what I do. I just stay at home. Well, let's, uh, we got questions. So why don't we jump in and, uh, I'll start off with a voicemail question, Gerard, since it's been a little while since we've had you on the podcast. Here you go. JD from DC. Uh, Gerard, what's up with tight end recruiting? Boy, this, uh, California class is really deep. Uh, Fallow, uh, Parkinson, and even this guy, uh, Calcaterra, Grant Calcaterra from, uh, Santa Margarita were really representing yesterday at the opening. Uh, how come USC let Calcaterra get away to Oklahoma State? And, uh, if they miss on these three guys, what are their, um, options beyond that? Well, USC does have a commitment from Eric Cromenhoek, who's, um, you know, kind of a, a, a surprise commitment, it, it certainly at the time, uh, 6'6, 235 pound tight end from Danville, Monta Vista. 
high school and a guy that really everybody looked at as a legacy for UCLA. Um, his father and his mother both went to UCLA. He does also have family ties to USC and, and was, you know, very emphatic about pointing that out when people were kind of lumping him in with, oh, he's just going to go to UCLA. He's just going to go to UCLA. I mean, his father actually posts on bro. Um, but, you know, USC gets one and, and a guy that's uh, pretty good, I think, at doing a little bit of both in terms of being a receiver as a tight end and also being a blocker as a tight end. And certainly with this offense, Clay Helton wants guys that can block and can run block specifically. Um, this is not going to be an offense where uh, you're going to get one of those, you know, sort of why big receivers and put them at tight end. Uh, it looks like they want to get some big bodies and some guys that can move defensive linemen off the football. Now, originally we looked at Randall Grimes uh, as a potential uh, tight end prospect. He's 6'5", about 210 pounds. We switched him on the target list now to being a split-in wide receiver prospect, mainly because our in-person evaluation of him, I don't know that he's really going to be able to put on the weight to be a true tight end prospect in a pro-style offense. Um, you're looking at the guy that's 210 right now. I could see him maybe being 220, but is he going to be 240? I don't think so. I, I don't think he has that frame, and I think, quite frankly, he's good enough as a, as a big receiver to play that position. I mean, he has good agility. He's very quick in the open field. Uh, we saw him at uh, two different events just this past spring and past summer. We saw him at USC Rising Stars uh, where he was inconsistent catching the ball. I think that was his main issue. He caught some passes that were really good catches, and then he dropped some very catchable balls. Uh, but he did show, like he showed at the IMG tournament, or excuse me, I think it was the Adidas Regional Tournament, um, during the offseason, which was in late May, and he was playing with the Bishop Gorman team, basically, and showed great ability to catch the ball and then make moves in the open field. Uh, we have some film of that tournament, and watching him just in the open field, a little bit of Mike Williams-esque, a, a guy that really runs a little more like a running back when he's in the open field uh, than a big receiver. So that kind of opened up our eyes to maybe looking at him as a legitimate receiver prospect. And we see USC really wanting to get bigger at receiver as well. They want to get bigger at tight end, but they want to get bigger at receiver. Quite frankly, I think just across the board, and we've talked about this on defense with defensive linemen and linebackers and defensive backs, I think that's one big thing about this class and about what Clay Helton wants. He wants to get bigger, just bigger across the board. And so we now look at Randall Grimes as being more as an actual wide receiver prospect and so you're looking for that second tight end in the class to go along with Croman Hulk. You've got Jimmy Jackers, 6'4", 240, 245-pound tight end. Now, he's really more of a blocking tight end. You would bring him in, and there's a little bit of overlap maybe with Croman Hulk, who's also maybe a little more of a blocking tight end than a real true stretch-the-field receiver as a tight end. Um, you've got Tyler Johnson, who's a bit of an enigma out there in Gilbert, Arizona, but a guy that's a little more athletic that you would look at as an athletic tight end. Um, the, the caller mentioned Colby Parkinson. Colby Parkinson is, is really solid to, to Stanford, and he's going to be a menace for USC um, in the next few years. Uh, Ryan can attest as well watching him at the opening, and we've seen him at other tournaments. He's really developed into being a very dominant, fluid receiver as a tight end and he's got a great great height i mean he might be maybe six seven right now and he runs really well for a guy with that kind of length um josh fellow is another guy that was mentioned usc's still after him he really likes oregon he's kind of enamored with some of these out-of-state schools and what have you we'll see how that goes with him i don't get the feeling that usc is you know a lead school for him i think they're among his leaders but i wouldn't say that they're the lead school or 
they have any kind of real advantage right now. So we'll see how things develop. Um, as far as Calcaterra went, he was a guy that really played receiver and, and has been more of a receiver for Santa Margarita. And when he was originally being recruited, I think everybody looked at him as a receiver. And Oklahoma had him uh, projected as a tight end, recruited him as a tight end. And, and now I think he's starting to try to develop more into a tight end, seeing that that might be his best position in college. So we may see USC look at him again. Again, we're in July at this point, you know, and you've got to stop yourself. You know, don't panic. Take a deep breath and realize that a lot is going to change over the next few months because you have that pesky thing that you call the season. And the season does affect recruiting and certainly coming out of the season, uh, depending on what kind of momentum you have, wins and losses, how your team plays. Uh, a lot of these recruits are looking at USC and they don't know really what kind of style of football they're going to play. As diehard fans and people that read uscfootball.com, you know that going through spring ball, the offense really hasn't changed a whole lot. There's still going to be sort of that out-of-the-shotgun, run-first, um, spread-type team that doesn't get too far away from the pro-style offense. Um, so, you know, we understand that and we look at it and go, well, yeah, USC is pretty much doing the same as they always have. I, I don't know why these kids would have any trepidation about going to USC or wanting to see what the scheme is going to be. But these kids do not follow the team like you guys follow the team. They, they clearly do not follow the team. They say a lot of things that reveal that they don't follow college football as closely as you just in general. And so uh, they want to see what's going on with USC, what type of season they have, how many catches do the tight ends have, are those tight ends going to be showcased. Um, you know, how do they run the football? How do they pass the football? And can Clay Helton and this coaching staff produce a winner, produce a school that looks like it's on the rise and upward trajectory as opposed to being flatlined, which we've basically looked at USC the past few years. So they've got to have some momentum coming out of the season, and then we get into December, January, and that's really where recruiting matters. That's when everything um, is kicked up a whole nother notch and becomes really serious. And then a lot of these guys that are even committed right now, and like I said, Kobe Parkinson, I think he's off the table for right now for USC. But there may be other guys that are committed to other schools that end up taking official visits. Yeah, he's a guy I like, uh, Parkinson. I mean, we watched him at the opening and just was like an absolute stud. I think he was – was he on Tate Martell's team? I can't remember. I think he might have been. No, he was on Fly Rush with uh, Stephen Carr and uh, Joseph Lewis. Oh, yes. Okay, okay. Um, you know, we got to see a lot of guys up there, but he really was someone, and I get, someone came up to me and was like, how is USC not on the guy? And I talked to you about him and you're like, yeah, he's, you know, really tight to Stanford. But is there a thing here, Gerard, where, you know, if USC does make a great run and they could maybe try to sway him? Cause he looks like he's going to be a difference maker in the Pac-12. I don't think so. Um, having talked to Matt Carell actually about Kobe Parkinson and their teammates at Oaks Christian and, and even Matt Carell was like, he seems like he's pretty tied in to Stanford. And certainly this wasn't a case where USC let him slip away. USC was one of the first schools to offer him a scholarship. Uh, they were on him very early. And, and obviously with Mike Pittman committed to USC, there were, you know, there's ties to USC and there's plenty of inroads at Oaks Christian for USC. This is just one of those things that he felt more comfortable at Stanford. He likes Stanford's offense. Certainly Stanford's got a lot more stability right now as a football program than USC. And so, you know, all of those things factor in. I would never say never with any recruit. I mean, we've seen it time and time again where a guy gets a tattoo of a school and then ends up at another school, uh, Ruben Foster. Um, there's, there's a lot of those type of situations, so you never say never. But right now, 
I wouldn't necessarily look at Kobe Parkinson as a guy that uh, you put an asterisk nest to and say, yeah, he's a sophomore. Yeah, he's committed to Stanford, but he's going to take all of his visits. To this point, he said he's not going to take any visits, and he's done in Stanford to school he's going to. All right, let's move on. We got Eric in Duck Country. He's talking about Oregon. I don't much, uh, don't put much stock into recruiting rankings, nor do I really pay attention to much recruiting until December or January. Sorry, Gerard. Um, this is interesting that you're writing about recruiting right now, though. Good, good coaches can develop players and become national contenders regardless of rankings, Stanford, Michigan State, TCU, etc. Uh, that being said, the recent developments at USC have me concerned. Recruiting is all about selling and marketing, and I was wondering if the USC coaches get any kind of training from the people at the Marshall School, he's talking about the business school at USC, with regards to being able to sell the program. If they don't, why not? People often talk uh, certain coaches as being, talk about certain coaches being quote-unquote great recruiters, and of course, there are personalities that lend themselves to being personable and being able to sell a program. But a lot of strategies are not intuitive, and they must be learned. Thanks, Eric in Duck Country. An interesting point. To my knowledge, uh, none of the coaches have actually gone through any special training to be recruiters. Uh, I could see sort of where this podcast is going in terms of questions. A lot of people are nervous about recruiting, and really I think not so much the players that are available or how USC is recruiting those players that are available – but more some of the guys that they've had committed and probably this sense that they're settling or going after inferior players because they have to. With the recruiting standpoint, I would say this, and this is especially true of the defensive staff. From what I've gathered and the vibe that I get, this defensive staff is very much about you bring us the guys and we'll coach them up. So from their perspective, they just like, this email is, is suggesting this question is sort of implying rankings don't matter and we can develop whoever and Clancy Pendergast and Ronnie Bradford are kind of sitting back and saying, you know what, if we've got a good enough athlete and he achieves certain measurables, bring him in here and we'll coach him up and our scheme will make him a better player. There's a confidence in that, maybe even an arrogance in that. And that's what we've seen on the recruiting trail USC's not kissing anybody's ass. If you're a recruit and you're committed to USC, then you've made that decision based on various factors that are inherent to USC. Not, I like USC because coaches are great and they tell me I'm going to be great and they talk to me every day on Twitter and send me emoticons that make me feel really special. That's not happening with this defensive staff. Thomas Graham wanted to be recruited like he was a five-star guy and USC said, we don't really think you're a five-star guy. They recruited him like they were skeptical of him. He committed to Steve Sarkeesian's staff and didn't want to come in camp, didn't want to do a lot of things, I think, from an evaluation standpoint, that USC maybe wanted him to go through that process again with the new staff. And they just said, okay, if you're committed, you're cool, we'll take you, but we're not going to go above and beyond and kiss your butt and act like, you're the greatest thing since sliced bread, when we're not really sure you are. And so they parted ways. And we saw the similar thing here with Bubba Bolden. Bubba Bolden wanted to be recruited harder. He wanted to see that USC was completely invested in him. Now, 
I see with Bubba Bolden a little bit of a difference between he and Thomas Graham because Bubba Bolden is way more prototypical of what this staff is recruiting as a defensive back. Again, we go back to the, the theme of the recruiting trail for USC thus far, getting bigger. And Bubba Bolden is a 6'3", 200-plus pound safety that can run pretty well, and he's physical. And so you got a guy that really he covers pretty well, and he's big enough to put in the box. It's exactly what Clancy Pendergast wants. But Bubba Bolden, from a personality, character, disposition standpoint, wants to feel the quote-unquote love. And when you hear a recruit say that on the defensive side of the ball, you know USC is probably going to start slipping with them because these coaches are not doing that. These are NFL guys. They're treating this process like it's an NFL process. The scouts go out. They go to the combine. They go to the pro days. They go to the various campuses. And then they come back with the reports and say, okay, this is what we think. And maybe some of those assistant coaches go to the combine and the NFL. But really they're not a part of that process. And certainly there's no recruiting involved in it. So it's just the basic, we're sitting back, we're paid to coach, not to sell, not to be salesmen, not to go to the Marshall School and learn how to be a salesman. We're here to coach X's and O's, and that's been their mentality. For better or for worse, that's been their mentality, and we just have to see how it plays out because I don't necessarily see it changing a whole lot. Um, I don't see Clancy Pendergast all of a sudden deciding, you know what, this is not working. I'm not getting good players let me start to be a much better recruiter. I just don't think it's in him. I don't think that's what he signed up to do. I don't think he came back to college to be a great recruiter. And Ronnie Bradford, who was brought in by Clancy Pendergast because they have a relationship together from the NFL, uh, has basically taken the same approach, I think, to recruiting. Now, it doesn't mean that he doesn't have a good relationship with some guys because we've seen with a guy like Jalen Johnson, for whatever reason, the 6'2", 185-pound cornerback from Fresno, uh, Southeast campus. He's a Tony Perry guy. He's a guy that you would think, ah, you know, going to Oklahoma, those kids up there in Fresno are always sort of enamored with the Oklahomas and Notre Dames and all that. He's got a great relationship with Ronnie Bradford. And, and I would say USC is the lead school for him by, by a comfortable margin right now at present date. And largely because of his relationship with Ronnie Bradford. Now, I will tell you this, Jalen Johnson is a much different personality than Bubba Bolden and Thomas Graham. Different dude, quiet kid, doesn't talk a lot, um, very sort of brooding, sort of got an edge to him, just a different cat. And so maybe that's part of the reason. Maybe it's one of those things where Ronnie Bradford just doesn't like the drama and the whole, I need love, I need to feel like I'm being recruited, like I'm your number one guy. I mean, maybe it's just a weeding, filtering out process for the coaching staff. Uh, we just don't know at this point. But um, that's sort of where things are right now. And so I would think with some of these questions where people are sort of nervous about things, we have to let it play out and see if it works or if it doesn't work. But certainly that's the vibe and that's sort of the approach from the coaching staff and why you're seeing uh, the, the process sort of unravel the way it's unraveling thus far. And, again, we're only in July, so – there's a lot more uh, to be seen from the process. Uh, speaking of Jalen Johnson, we just put up some highlights of him from the opening. You can check those out up on uscfootball.com. And uh, it's an interesting question. I think, you know, if you're talking about marketing and the business school, I think it's certainly a different deal than you're talking about marketing on the recruiting cycle. And I, I think if you're going to get 
uh, you know, like a recruiting education. It would probably be from someone that's actually done it before. I, there may be some, I haven't heard of this, any schools doing this, but some sort of crossover there between the business school and, but I think something would have to be developed between someone in the business school and someone that's, you know, a lot of experience in the recruiting world and kind of put some sort of program together to kind of teach other, uh, coaches or, you know, assist them, uh, in different techniques for, you know, recruiting and how you would market that. But I haven't heard of anything like that. I, I think just walking into the business school and going, Hey, teach me how to market. I don't think that would really be the case. You know, that, that's going to be that helpful, but it's more about, uh, maybe they could develop something between the two school, you know, between the, the athletic side and the business school side, some kind of program for incoming coaches or things like that. I don't know. What do you think, Gerard? Okay. I don't, yeah, I, that, I agree with that. All right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, don't know. I, wasn't, I haven't heard of it. I wasn't going to follow up with any, you know, uh, quick comments or, or anything, you know, to, uh, to, to back that up or to refute it. It, yeah, it, it's sort of probably a little different, you know, apples and oranges, if you will. Um, I, I think maybe from the standpoint of, and we'll go back into sort of the management of your recruiting strategy which is different still. I mean, rec- recruiting, I've always broken up sort of into different entities. In, in recruiting is not just one thing. Recruiting is the management and organizational standpoint where you have to get your board together. How do we approach this recruit? How do we approach this type of recruit? How do we recruit this position when we need maybe more than one player? Uh, how do we recruit players that have academic issues. That's all sort of a management organizational type of strategy type of thing. And then you have the sales aspect of it, which is go out there and say whatever you need to say to get this kid interested in your school. And that's different. That's personality. That's, you know, certain type of psychological. It's one of those things that I think just, you know, from a, from a psychological uh, standpoint, you have to sort of read kids a certain way and you have to sort of know things. And that I think is sort of intuitive and, and inherent to some people. I, you know what I mean? I think you go into it and sure, I'm, I'm sure there are some things that you can sort of learn. Um, and, 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 and again, even from a psych 101 standpoint of, you know, how you're dealing with people and what have you and, and how to read their, their, their feedback and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I think a lot of it is just sort of, you know, T Martin is a good recruiter because he's a people person and he, and he can talk to anybody and has his gregarious and has a personality and has an energy that is just inherent. He was born with it. Um, and so you have that standpoint and then you have sort of the other evaluation aspect of things, which sort of overlaps a little bit with your strategy, but you have to have certain points of evaluation and how you look at the board and, and what you need and what fulfills that need, you know, what type of player and what he can do. You feel like I can have that kid come in and he can contribute. Maybe he's not going to be a superstar. Maybe he's not going to be a guy that's going to be a first round draft pick, but he can come in and contribute to our team and be productive. And so, you know, you have sort of three phases, you know, it's evaluation, you have the management and then you have the actual sales and that all those three things sort of make up recruiting, you know, it's sort of three dimensions of what recruiting is. So when you say, Hey, march into the Marshall business uh, school and say, okay, teach me how to recruit. I, there's recruiting is more than just that one thing. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's go to Mike. He's on Quartz Hill. I'm not sure where that is, wherever Quartz That's Hill is. That's up there near Lancaster. Oh, nice. All right. Well, Hey Mike out there near Lancaster. 
Um, looking at the defensive target list, it appears to be, and that appears to be our weakest area for the current recruiting cycle. How would you assess our needs for this current class? Hmm, that's a bit of an ambiguous question. It depends on how you define needs. Are we talking about needs from a number standpoint? Or are we talking about needs from a developing quality options on the recruiting board? Um, I think one need in both fashions would be the need of inside linebacker. Uh, certainly USC needs inside linebackers, mainly because you've got two positions right now inside linebacker. It's not just a middle Mike linebacker and you need a Mike linebacker to back up Cameron Smith, but it's really two positions. It's the Mike and the Will that are both playing uh, inside linebacker and are both in the middle for USC in this particular defense, that sort of quasi-34. I mean, we'll see if they change it for fall camp. Uh, but right now they're playing two inside linebackers. So you've got Cameron Smith, you've got uh, Bubba uh, Tucker, um, Abuda Tucker, excuse me, Bubba Bolden in my head, Elijah Tucker. Um, you've got, let's see, who else do you have in that middle? John Houston sort of started moving into the middle, was playing a little more middle during the spring. We'll see how that develops. He was playing outside linebacker last year. Uh, you don't have a lot of depth there, especially when you're looking at Cameron Smith and you see a guy that is coming back from that ACL and we'll see – how quickly he's able to come back if he's able to be the same player that he was. So I would say that position is one that you need, I think, two in this class at middle linebacker, or I should say inside linebacker, Mike and Will. And looking at the recruiting board, there's just not a lot of options right now at, at that middle inside linebacker spot. USC has one commitment from Daniel Green, 6'3", 225-pound. Uh, Mike linebacker, as he's projected right now from Portland, a guy that has a lot of potential, Looks great on film. He's got to get his grades good. That's where he's got to get his grades good. I need to get my grades good. Yeah. Yeah. How about that? <laughs> uh, that's <laughs> be able to articulate that a little better. He's got to get his grade point average up. Um, he's done better this past, uh, this past semester. He, he, he improved, uh, his core classes. And that's why, you know, uh, Oregon and USC, Cal, a few different schools came in late May and all of a sudden he got a few different offers. But he jumped on the USC scholarship offer immediately. USC was his childhood favorite. Um, is a big, you know, number 55 guy. Uh, so he, he, he kind of sort of the Noah Jefferson, perhaps, of this class. The guy that has a tremendous amount of potential. USC offered him immediately, wanted to get him committed immediately because they want to get him on track academically. They want him to sort of put the blinders on, forget about the recruiting process, all the visits and all the nonsense. Get your grades right. You, you know where you're going to school now. We can get you in touch with our advisors and our academic uh, support people and get you on track to making sure you're qualified. So he's sort of now on that plan. We'll see how it shakes out. But that's that's a very good option that USC has committed already. But beyond that, there's really not a lot of names on the board. And so from a need standpoint, you can look at the roster right now and say, okay, USC needs linebackers uh, inside at Mike and Will, and you look at the recruiting board and say, you know, USC really could use some more linebackers, some names here that are quality names, some offers here. Uh, we've seen offers go out crazy like at defensive line and defensive back, but really not a whole lot at that inside linebacker spot. Samson New was a guy that looked like he was going to be committed in the class of 2017 for USC, 5'11", 205-pound linebacker from San Diego, Madison High School, but – when the day he was going to commit and he announced he was going to commit, 
from what I gather, USC said, you we don't have that spot open anymore. And so he was going to commit to USC, uh, ended up delaying his announcement. Now he's committed to Oregon. So quality player certainly was a guy that for a while I questioned how he fit into the defense because he was so small. I mean, he's 5'11". And the linebackers that you see USC recruiting right now, and again, going back to the size uh, theme, just bigger guys, just bigger guys in general, 6'3", 6'4", type dudes that are in that 230, 240-pound range by the time they actually get on the campus. Um, so you're looking at guys from that position, where the options, you know, develop more guys. Maybe perhaps Addison Gums is an option. You know, we talked to him. Uh, he's a 6'4", 220, probably getting up to be about 225-pound linebacker from Oakland, Hayward, California, that Bay Area. Uh, he's a guy that certainly could play inside linebacker at USC. USC's talked to him about playing maybe Sam or inside linebacker. Right now on the target list, we have him listed as a Sam, but he could move in and be a middle linebacker uh, if he needed to be. UCLA, Washington uh, really looked at the schools that uh, have been front runners for him for a while. UCLA thought he had they had him locked up for much of the spring. Um, he's no longer a lock for them. Uh, he could end up going to USC. It's, it's really hard to read. He keeps it really close to the vest. Like I said, Washington is there. Um, he's also sort of looking at Oklahoma, um, Nebraska. So we're going to see what happens. USC certainly, it looked like when Samson knew was going to commit and USC pretty much backed off of him that perhaps it was because Addison Gums was going to commit to USC. Because at that point, Addison Gums had announced that he was going to make a commitment in late June or maybe early July. So now we're coming out of July. He does want to get it done before the season, but he keeps visiting these schools and keeps being torn as to where he really wants to go. So um, that's that's another potential option. And certainly if USC gets Addison Gums and then they already have Daniel Green committed as inside linebackers, then that's, that's, that's taken care of. Uh, you don't have to worry about it. I mean, just as quick as that, boom, you're done. And you're not nervous about that. But at this point, because Addison Gums is still out there and still sort of torn between uh, numerous schools, you don't want to you know, necessarily pencil him in. And so you start to look, okay, if they don't get Addison Gums, who's going to be that other guy to go in there with Daniel Green to be an inside linebacker because they do need another guy in this class. So I would say that's definitely a position that jumps out to me right now. Uh, a lot of fans would say, well, what about defensive line? Everybody wants deep defensive line classes. They see the SEC and they see, you know, eight, nine deep. You just keep throwing defensive linemen at the at the, the, the quarterback, and it definitely affects the game. But right now I wouldn't necessarily say from a board standpoint USC needs defensive linemen because they have a few very good options. You've got Jay Tufeli, you've got Terrence Ling, uh, maybe even one of the guys that came out for rising stars like Alec Jackson. You've got some options there of guys that will officially visit USC for sure and guys that I would say have USC in their top two or three. So from a board standpoint, USC has some good options there. They have enough options where they could sign three, maybe even four interior defensive linemen. We're talking about interior guys, not rush ends or defensive. We're talking about guys that you're putting their hand in the ground and playing inside the tackles. And so that position I think you're okay at. I think you're still okay out on the board. At defensive back, we've seen a plethora of scholarship offers go out there, like 20 scholarship offers, and probably of those 20 guys that they offered between May and June, uh, USC's probably got potentially maybe seven or eight guys that they can bring in on official visits. So that's still 
a position where you've got a lot of options. So I wouldn't necessarily say that there's a great need there in terms of developing more options by going after guys and finding more scholarship-type targets. Um, on the board, obviously, USC uh, is good there. But on the roster, USC probably looks at that as a need position. They need two corners in this class, and they probably need two safeties. Maybe I've heard, you know, they could try to get five. Um, I would say probably in that – in that instance, you probably want to take three cornerbacks and maybe two safeties. Um, so we'll see how that develops. Certainly, it's going to be a deeper uh, position that they're going to recruit in 2017. But from the defensive side of the ball, that's that's sort of how it goes. Again, it's July. I, I would just say the inside linebacker spot stands out because of the lack of options right now to recruit. All right. Uh, let's go to Tarek. He had a question. Uh, if USC takes care of business on the field in 2016, and he clarifies that as being 10 wins or more, what do you think their class ranking will end up as? Holy cow, that's a crystal ball question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when USC does well on the field and they have good momentum, um, I, I think it's you know top 10 for sure. Top five is is, is certainly uh, within within reach, um, even with them grabbing some guys early on that are not highly ranked guys, a guy like C.J. Miller, I think you still can close quite well with the local prospects, and you're going to close well with some guys out of state like they did last year. Um, last year they didn't have a ton of momentum, but they did a good job sort of selling the new coaching staff, and you know there's always opportunity with the new coaching staff, and uh, they did a good job, I think, building sort of momentum out of that, which is really resourceful. You know, you have to give – um, T. Martin, a lot of credit. You know, he's one of the only guys that's been on this staff that's, you know, stayed on the staff and there's been overlap. And I think he sort of, in some ways, becomes sort of a quasi recruiting coordinator to some extent, a, a lot more uh, of a recruiting coordinator than any offensive coordinator you're going to find at any other college, certainly. I mean, he, I think he has more input as to how they recruit. Uh, than any offensive coordinator, maybe in the history of college football, quite frankly. Most offensive coordinators are not involved very much in recruiting, and he certainly uh, has to be, still has to be right now, just with the way things have gone. Give him a lot of credit. Uh, certainly give the support staff a lot of credit. I know I've talked about them before, but the way they closed last year had a lot to do with guys like Kenyatta Hudson, uh, Gavin Morris. Um, those guys were busting their tails, uh, you know, actually out on the road recruiting. Uh, to be able to to sort of formulate that class and bring it together. And so if USC is able to win, so you you think about that, okay, you think about the instability and sort of where they were coming from. Yeah, they had that newness of the new staff to be able to sell, and that's always a good thing. Uh, but if you've got the nucleus of the staff, and Clay Helton's a good recruiter. I think that's something that, you know, needs to be emphasized as well from an in-home standpoint. Clay Allen does well with a lot of guys. And, you're, and, and if they won a bunch of games and they were actually able to come away and, and play in a major bowl game and win it, they would be pretty, pretty, pretty hot on the recruiting trail. And, and going into in-home visits with Clay Helton, uh, I would say, yeah, definitely a top five type uh, program in terms of recruiting. I wouldn't want to say much more than that because, you know, we're still kind of questioning, okay, do they take 23, do they take 21, 22? You know, that's going to sort of affect, you know, how many guys you actually take in the class. And certainly things would get kind of tricky in terms of the early commitments that they've taken. Do they, you know, get out of some of those? All of a sudden are there better options that start to reveal themselves as you get into January and all of a sudden some guy that eliminated USC during the summer all of a sudden wants to take an official visit. And it's like, wow, now we don't have enough room. Maybe we need to bump somebody up. 
all these things happen, you know, in, in the end of the recruiting process. And so it, it's hard to say, yeah, they're, they're top three um, because that's, there's a lot of things that one guy can affect that class ranking. But I think top five, you could still say with 10, 11 wins, I'd be confident saying this would be a top five class for sure. All right, let's go Jonathan in Northridge. He was watching uh, some of the highlights from uh, the Nike opening regional in Los Angeles. And one of the guys that stood out to him, it was Michael, I think it's Safel, S-A-F-F-E-L, from Edison High School, a redheaded kid. He said he's absolutely dominated the guys he went up against and showed great flashes of explosiveness and power. With a few years of D1 strength and conditioning, I think he can be an absolute destroyer on the interior of an offensive line. Best part is he's only three-star right now, which brings me to my question for Gmart. Why does this kid only have a three-star billing, and why haven't any D- big D1 schools noticed his play? Like I said, he made just about everyone at the camp look like a child in comparison. Don't believe me? Watch the film. Thanks for your input. Always appreciated. Jonathan in Northridge. Well, I really don't know. Um, I haven't followed his recruitment. I can't remember really watching him a whole lot at the opening regional Los Angeles. It's one of those things where we're sort of focused on specific players and making sure that we get their reps on film and, and we take photos. And so going to an event like that where you've got 400 plus kids, we're not there to, to try to discover kids necessarily. Um, I know you get kids like that every year that are good high school football players. And sometimes they can dominate a camp because they're just good high school football players but they're not much more than that from a physical standpoint or from a potential standpoint. I don't want to say that's the reason because I don't have the reason I, you know, haven't taken a poll of college coaches. Hey, why haven't any of you guys offered this player? Um, sometimes guys fall through the cracks, but certainly he didn't do well enough in the opinion of the coaches there at the regional camp to actually be invited to the national camp in Oregon. So there was also for whatever reason, some question to his performance there. So I, you know, my answer is, I don't know. Uh, but there are those kind of guys that, um, you know, sometimes they're just, uh, they're just a good high school football player and they have a good performance and that's kind of the end of it. All right. Uh, Stephen Poway has a question for us. He said, is it too early to be concerned about the apparent low quality of recruit for 2017? According to your website, as of today, this was uh, probably a week ago, there are eight committed players for 2017 and those, Eight players, six or three-star players, according to Scout. One is a two-star and one is a four-star. By the way, one of the committed players reports a 40-yard dash time of 4.72 seconds, and he's listed as a projected wide receiver. Uh, the only players ranked in the Scout top 300, uh, inclu- including the amazing Stephen Carr, uh, he said the only players ranked in the, to- the Scout top 300 are Stephen Carr, and the only and they're only currently soft verbals. Um, does Coach Clay Helton and the coaching staff know something that Scout.com does not? Or is USC having to, quote-unquote, settle a bit this year? Please tell me it's the former. Thanks for your awesome podcast, Ryan. Hope you enjoyed your vacation. Steve and Poway. I don't think you can settle in July. Um, if we were in January and there was a bunch of two-star guys and, you know, the second to last week of January, I would say for sure that's definitely happening. But – you're in July, and it's at this point I think USC's just gone out and they've found guys that they really like that they feel fit their system. And I would say that, you know, Steve Sarkeesian's staff did a good job of that, evaluating guys and went after guys that they liked, regardless of ranking. That's what this staff is doing. They're going after guys that they like regardless of ranking. And, 
You know, you look at um, Daniel Green, who, you know, rave uh, reviews from a lot of people that I've talked to. His film looks really good. Even Brandon Huffman said that, you know, yeah, he's he's an athlete. He's a guy that could end up being a really good player. He's got some great issues, and I think that sort of kept him off the radar a little bit with some people. And so his position rank is like 14th, 15th uh, as inside linebackers. But you got a guy who's 6'3", 225, and you watch him move on film, he can run. Uh, Giuliano Felanico is a guy that is actually from America, Samoa. He's a four-star guy, which is really rare from a guy, you know, that's, that's Samoan, um, but unranked, you know, by scout in the, in the national rankings, uh, but still a guy that USC went out and saw and got. And so I think that's one of those things. Marlon Williams is another example. That's, that's, a, that's actually probably the best example. He's talking about a guy who's six foot, 200 pounds, and as as uh, reference to runs like a four seven uh, according to Scout. I don't know where he ran a four seven. I don't know if that was at a Nike camp at some point, uh, but he's listed as having a four seven. USC went out to Mobile, Alabama, and T. Martin recruited him. Now USC can get a lot of receivers. There's guys locally like Jameer Calvin who would commit to USC in a heartbeat if he got an offer. And Jameer Calvin, I'm I'm pretty sure is probably ranked higher than Marlon Williams. But Marlon Williams is in Mobile, Alabama, and I don't think there's a lot of people going down to see a lot of Marlon Williams games either. We saw him at Rising Stars. He looked really good in the morning session when he was working out in position drills, ended up hurting his ankle, and didn't participate in the rest of the day. So we really didn't get to see him against that type of top competition going one-on-one. Physically, he looked like a good-looking guy, uh, built almost more like a running back than a receiver. But this is a guy that Key Martin, who is from Mobile, Alabama, by the way, went out and recruited and got committed. Got committed, uh, uh, you know, almost a year ago. So he's been committed for a while. So Randall Grimes, these guys that are three stars, C.J. Miller, uh, the safety from uh, Powder Springs, Georgia, is a guy that ran, you know, 4.48 or 4.4 or, or something. It was one of the fastest times that uh, they've ever had at the Rising Stars camp. This is a guy who's a, a very good athlete and certainly has displayed that in this offseason but hasn't played a lot of football from McCarran. McCarran High School has good players. It's a high level of competition that they play against there in Georgia, but he didn't play a whole lot last year. So you're really looking at a guy that you're not offering him based so much on his film. USC went out to a satellite camp in Georgia two different occasions. They went to one, I think, at West Georgia and saw him originally, loved the way he moved. He came back out for uh, the Georgia State camp, I believe it was, and USC was at that as well. He performed well again, tested really well again. USC decided, you know what, we're going to offer this kid. We're not going to wait. And Auburn came in just a few weeks after that and offered him as well. And so maybe USC's just ahead of the curve on C.J. Miller. We saw him a little bit at Rising Stars. He played some cornerback, actually, at Rising Stars. Didn't look real comfortable there. I didn't like his performance there that well. Uh, didn't play bad, but just didn't look comfortable. I think he projects more as a safety. Uh, but, you know, on paper, he's a fast kid. He's got good good size. He's fast. He's agile. But is he a really good football player? Well, USC's taking a little bit of a waiver on that. But, again, I'm going back to what I originally said in one of the first questions. This defensive staff, and I'm really specifically talking about the defensive staff at USC, sits back and they feel like if you bring me the mold, I will build something from it. Uh, they feel like they they have the athlete, they can develop them into a good football player. Whether it happens or not, we're going to find out. But 
that's more of the feeling. So in terms of the panic that people have with, you know, two and three star guys being committed, you know, are they all underrated? No, they're not all underrated. There will be some guys here that USC just went on that felt like they were going to be great players and they turned out not to be great players. But the, the, the real quest is to find a few of these guys that you find that you can sort of build in and they're sort of that, they're glue guys. You know, we always talk about the brick and mortar analogy that I make with recruiting. You want to have bricks. Everybody sees the bricks. The bricks are the, the big playmakers that make the wall all pretty. But without the mortar, that brick you can push over with your pinky finger. you got to have some rebarb. you got to have some mortar. you got to have those guys in between. And sometimes that's what the two- and three-star guys are. They're the guys that are not, you know, their freshman year talking about how they're leaving early for the NFL already. USC, is, they can get those guys. You've got plenty of those guys out there that you can recruit. But you need some mortar guys, some glue guys that bring it all together that make that wall really strong. Brick and mortar. I love that analogy, Gerard. It's a really good one. Um, let's move along. We have Taylor wrote in. He said, there's talk about Kenichi Daisy that he, that isn't that effective as a recruiter. And we kind of talked about this a little bit already, especially for out of state prospects. Yet Greg Rogers, Terrence Lang, um, Jay Tefeli, Martin Andrus, et cetera, rave about him. You said when he was hired, you thought he could be a great recruiter, even better than UCLA's Angus McClure. What have you heard about BKU as a recruiter and is the truth of his abilities somewhere in the middle? Thanks and fight on from Taylor. Well, the truth always sort of tends to gravitate towards the middle of, you know, two extremes. I have never really heard he's an ineffective recruiter. I don't know where that's coming from. Um, we did think that, you know, when he was hired, he could be a very good recruiter. Young, hadn't played the NFL, good energy about him. Um, it's just a matter of the diligence and the relentlessness of recruiting and the grind of recruiting. That would be my biggest question. You know, is he really ready to grind like an Ed Erdron or somebody to just be relentless after these kids and the guy that you like, you just recruit the hell out of him and, and do everything you can to, to, to sway him and build that relationship, you know, long-term, that would be the biggest question. But, Thus far, you know, everything that's been, that was stated in that question about him having good relationships with guys like Jay Tufeli, Greg Rogers, uh, Terrence Lang has proven to be true. Those guys name drop Kenichi Odizi all the time. And I would say even out of state, uh, more so we heard that quite a bit from guys like Marvin Wilson and Chase Young. Marvin Wilson, uh, ranked right now the number one defensive tackle in the nation out of Houston, a guy that's about 6'4", 320, 330 pounds. Um, watching him at the opening, he looks more to be a nose guard type than a real sort of three-technique pass rusher, but still a big body that USC is recruiting. And Marvin Wilson talked uh, about Kenichi Odizi and his great relationship with them and how he, you know, really looking at USC because he really feels good about him and he wants to take that unofficial visit, which he shouldn't be taking this week. I have to double-check on that and whether he's actually going to make it out here. I know he had a basketball tournament in Las Vegas and he was going to try to make it L.A., um, kind of as a, you know, in the region type of thing. He talked like, oh, yeah, I'll just drive over to L.A. because it's, you know, like an hour away. I don't think he realized it. it's a little bit of a drive from Vegas. Um, but a guy that raved about um, Coach KU and Chase Young, a guy out there from DeMatha Catholic High School, which is, uh, you know, in Maryland, a five-star defensive end, one of the most impressive defensive linemen at the opening, a guy that you would probably look at more as a hybrid rusher, uh, sort of one of those predator-type position-type guys at about 6'5", 230 pounds. But again, said, you know, I like USC because 
I've got a great relationship with Kenichi Odizi, and we talk about all kinds of things. We talk about uh, football, but we also talk about life and the things that he's been through. And so there's a connection that these kids are having with him, and that's big. That's a huge, huge part of recruiting. And, again, it kind of goes back to that question about the Marshall School of Business. Some of it is just inherent, whether you can connect to kids. And a lot of what Kenichi Odizi has is he was a recruit. He was a guy that was a two-star guy. He wasn't a big-time All-American guy coming out of uh, Verdam Day. Uh, but he went through the process, got developed by Ed Ergeron, ended up being a first-round draft pick, and played in Pro Bowls. So he was at a point where these kids want to get to in their careers, and that's a big reference point, and that's something that they hook into. And when you've gone through trials and tribulations, you have other things to share about you. Um, it, it opens you up, and these kids – they like that. They they feel like, you know, they've gone through things. They come from backgrounds where there's been trials and tribulations, and they are able to relate to that person, and that makes for a really good recruiter. So from this standpoint, I still think, you know, there's a lot of potential with Kenny Chodizzi. Obviously, we have to see who he signs because at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. Just like with coaching, it's about wins and losses. With the recruiter, it's about the guys you actually sign. All right. Uh, good one there. Let's go Paul in Vegas. He's got a question. I realize this issue has been asked and answered repeatedly, but offering non-rated uh, players and having them jump on those offers, like the recent defensive back out of Georgia, seems very counterproductive to me and other fans. Once in a rare while, perhaps our coaches identify a true diamond in the rough, but if we stick with offering uh, top 10 position players, uh, we will have room for these players come January. Uh, please explain one more time how all these dozens of offers to non-top-10 position players work out uh, for a top-10 recruiting class. Thanks and fight on, Paul in Las Vegas. I think we kind of sort of went over that question yeah. you know, already in other questions. Um, certainly, like I said, I think there's two schools of thought. There's one that the defensive side of the ball, those coaches feel like they can develop these players and they feel like, you know, they're going to be able to get more out of them than what Scout believes they are. Uh, but then there's also the, the, the argument that it's July. And, and as sort of implied with that question, things change in January. And, and kids, you know, the recruiting process is a two-way street. And I, I say this sort of with, with dismay because this is what's become. Early offers and commitments don't mean anything. They don't mean anything for the school and they don't mean anything for the, the, for the kids. Now, it's a little harder for the, the school to get out of things because everybody looks at the school and says, oh, they should be held to a higher standard, and you promised the kids something, and blah, 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 blah. But the truth of the matter is it doesn't mean jack anymore. And kids get offered, and they commit, and then, you know, other kids come along, and they say, yeah, we can get this kid. And kids, you know, oh, we don't have room for you. Oh, I'm not really sure. You know, we all are only taking this many guys. Or they just stop calling a kid, and the kid gets the message. So it, it really, there's a lot to do about nothing at this point in time. Um, there are certainly things to be cleaned from a strategy standpoint, from, you know, obviously with the offers and, and how USC's recruit certain positions. An example would be defensive backs. We see that USC definitely wants to get bigger at defensive back. The, the, the corners that they're recruiting are all 6'1", 6'2". Uh, the, the safeties they're recruiting are all 6'2", 6'3". You know, we, we see certain things. There, it's not to say that recruiting doesn't matter at this point, but from the standpoint of who USC is actually going to get, right now we can't sit there and project really well. It's just the recruiting process has come to a point where too much changes 
and it's too fluid to where you can take a commit and say, okay, the, de- the definition of commitment, that word, we're, we're applying that right now. It doesn't work that way. And, and, I've, and I've argued in a po- past podcasts, and I've said this before, that we should be as writers in an industry that covers recruiting changing that word and using different words to, to describe what kids are doing. They, they're, they're basically saying, I have a reservation with this school. In a kid's mind, they all want to commit before the season because they're afraid they're going to get hurt during the season. So in their mind, it's, well, if I blow my knee and I'm committed to this school, I'm good. I've got a scholarship offer. doesn't matter. They're going to stick with me. But they're naive to the fact that, you know, truth be told, they may not. Some schools are going to be a little more ethical in that regard than others. But truth be told, there's nothing binding that school to you with that scholarship offer. There really isn't. Um, unless you sign that early, you know, enrollee paperwork, the financial aid or what have you, you know, you, 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 you can be dropped at any point. They could stop calling you and you're going to have to go somewhere else. Uh, and the same goes for the kid with the school. The kid's going to commit early. He goes, oh, I might get hurt during the season. And then he gets after the season and all that love he had for that school. You know, I want to take all my official visits and really enjoy the process. I only get to go through this once in a lifetime. Yeah, until you flunk out or transfer and then you become a, you know, a, a guy that goes and takes visits again. It's all nonsense when, from that standpoint. So um, in terms of like, you know, what USC, what class they're going to have, it just we can't get too wrapped up in that right now with who they have committed and who might commit and all that kind of stuff. Like I said, but basically when you get into November, you kind of hit a reset button and say, all right, now going forward, we're really going to see what matters. Now things get serious, time constraints, kids have to sign. It becomes a little more uh, easy to project as to, okay, what, what kind of class USC is really going to have and what are the players that they are recruiting, who are the guys they really want, and who are the guys that really want to go to USC. All right, we just got a couple more, Gerard, and we'll let you go. Uh, our buddy Bear Secutor says, GM, doesn't it seem to you that this staff is sending out way more offers earlier and to younger classes, uh, i.e. 2018, than previous coaches at USC, including, and even especially, local kids? If so, I want your perspective on this. Bear Secutor. Yes, and, and that's pretty much a pattern that we've seen across the nation. Um, kind of as I was just saying, it means less and less. Every move in recruiting up until signing day sort of means less and less. So uh, the scholarship offers just don't mean a whole lot. And we actually talked about this on the Peristyle, taking the target list and maybe augmenting how we list recruits. Because right now USC is approaching, I think, what, 150 offers? Um, and that's, you know, really of sort of the active guys that they've they've offered uh, in terms of recruiting. That's, that's insane because you're talking about only taking 20 to 22 guys in the class and you've offered more than a hundred. <laughs> Alabama has, has offered almost what 200 guys, I think at last count. And they have like eight commitments. You're telling me the defending national champion who puts a bunch of guys in the league every year, the, the present dynasty of college football and you offered scholarships to almost 200 players and only eight guys wanted to commit to your school. So that just common sense tells you the scholarship offers don't mean jack anything anymore. 
uh, we're really looking at the whole, and again, I'm going to throw another analogy, and people who listen to the podcast know what I'm going to say right now. It's flowers on the first date. It doesn't mean <laughs> anything. doesn't mean you're getting married, engaged. doesn't mean you're getting a second date. It's just a nice sort of icebreaker anymore. Hey, man, we really like you. Yeah, we're going to offer you a scholarship. Oh, really? Oh, I really like this school. I'm blessed to get a scholarship offer. You know how many times I see a kid on Twitter talk about how blessed he is to get a scholarship offer? And I want to say, guys, you know, they don't. They, you're really not that blessed. You know when you're blessed? You're blessed when a school gives you a paid trip. You and your parents now, because the NCAA is allowing parents to come on trips. You and a guardian now a fully paid trip to come and visit their school so they can wine and die you. Then you're blessed. Then you can start counting your blessings because all this nonsense scholarship offer some coach, some guy that's not even really probably a support staff member or a, a, a GA is getting on the phone <laughs> telling you you got a scholarship offer or DMing you on Twitter. Hey, man, we brought you. Yeah, you got a scholarship offer from here. And then you're blessed. You're not blessed yet, man. The recruiting process is now at the point where you it's actions speak louder than words every which way. So if you want to know who USC is recruiting, we got to see who's coming in on official visits. Okay, even then you're kind of you know there's going to be some guys that come in on official visits that USC may just go well let's bring them on a visit and see. But you're talking about official visits, and then you're talking about letters of intent. You know, don't tell me how many scholarship offers you have. You know, there's a good example: a guy Anthony Hines from Dallas or from Plano, uh, uh, Texas, has more than 100 offers. USC offered him a year ago, more than a year ago. He had a whole bunch of offers. This is a kid that now, a kid that, that schools have pretty much backed off recruiting. You know, he's up at the opening. and played really well at the opening. And a guy that I, I think, you know, we're talking about inside linebacker prospects and US, USC and the lack of options they have at inside linebacker, Dave, they're not recruiting Anthony Hines anymore. I actually have a story on him. They haven't talked to him. In, in a couple months at least. And USC didn't make his top 10. And basically I just asked, I said, you know, USC was your dream school. When you got offered, you know, we talked about it and you have family out in LA. What's going on with USC? Why, why didn't they not make the top 10? He goes, well, I really am not hearing from them very much. They're not really recruiting me that hard. And this guy's got a hundred scholarship offers. So it tells you, it just doesn't mean anything anymore. So it's more about who's sending you a letter of intent on signing day. I wish you you know these schools could be forced to send letter of letters of intent at the beginning of the of the kids senior years and then you would see a wholly different <laughs> totally different target list you know in terms of the amount of offers and the difference between what's really a committable offer and a non-committable offer so here we've learned on this podcast that a we have to change the offer uh, categorization that we have on the target list, because you do have a difference between committable offers and non-committable offers. And we have to sort of change, you know, how we look at the interest standpoint that, you know, you've got kids that are committed, but we sort of need to change that word committed into reservation because that's sort of what kids are doing. They want to get their reservation in with the school before their senior seasons. So just in case they get hurt in their minds, the, the schools are still bound to them and they still get that free ride to college. So there you go. All right. Well, we got one last one from David and uh, he wants to know, he's curious about the fullback situation and where USC is recruiting there. Do you think USC is just going to put two running backs in at the same time? You could see like Ronald Jones and Justin Davis on the field, you know, they're together. Are they going to use the walk on uh, fullbacks? Is, I mean, walk on uh, linebackers who switch to fullbacks. They're going to recruit fullbacks. What are you, what's your thoughts on the whole fullback situation for USC? 
You know, it's a good question because we sort of went back and forth for that over the spring. You, USC, I had a good source tell me, you know, we're eliminating the fullback position from the offense. And then, I don't know, what was it, second, third week of spring ball, we see USC all of a sudden start to work out a bunch of, like, walk-on linebackers <laughs> and fullback. And so they sort of were bringing the fullback position in, and USC actually went out and they were trying to get some more uh, – interest from, from, you know, maybe some transfers and some guys like that to come in and actually play fullback. So I, I, at this point, can't say that the fullback position has been eliminated from the offense. It still seems that there's sort of an interest to have a two-back offense with maybe a lead blocker. On the recruiting trail, we haven't seen a ton of movement in that direction, although USC did offer a Stanford commit, uh, Sonny Lund, who's a guy that uh, is you know about six one two twenty five who looks like a fullback prospect. Now we have him listed in the target list as a running back, a power back, mainly because he's really kind of the only one right now that we would put as a fullback prospect. But I I see him more as a fullback prospect. I think Stanford's looking at him as a fullback prospect, and I think USC would look at him as a fullback prospect. Um, I kind of wondered that a little bit about Samson New. With USC, I mean, you're talking about a guy who's 5'11", 205 pounds. He didn't fit the prototypical body type of USC inside linebacker. So I thought, well, maybe this is a guy that they end up moving over to play fullback. Well, you know, they they didn't take him either way. Um, So, yeah, so that's still kind of an sort of open-ended question for us, how much the fullback position is going to be used. Is, Is it going to be used at all? It seemed like USC wanted to get away from it. I think with the two graduating seniors at fullback, when you had um, – uh, why am I blinking on both of their names right now? Uh, see, that I have to blink on names that have graduated in order to bring all these new names in. Soma, like Soma Vanuku or kids. Soma Vanuku? So, yeah, Soma Vanuku and, and, uh, and Mission Viejo Jaleel uh, 38. Pinner. Jaleel Pinner. Oh, yeah, Jaleel yeah. Pinner, yeah, yeah. So – uh, I just totally blinked on those guys. That's okay. Um, but, but those guys, but those guys graduate, and I think it's like you know we don't have anybody there to bring in, and you know technically if we're going to run more of a sort of college offense, we don't necessarily need that position. But I think that sort of, I think USC's kind of gone and maybe had second thoughts about that. I mean, they want if you want to run a pro style offense, you're probably going to need a fullback to some extent. I thought what they would try to do is develop the H-back position more in the offense, and which they could still do uh, with, the, with the tight ends that they have, bring in guys that sort of play more of that Rhett Ellison position, which was very successful for Lane Kiffin uh, that year at USC uh, when he had Rhett Ellison. And, and Rhett, you know, 6'5", 250. He, he's a pretty big guy. You'd think from leverage standpoint as a lead blocker, he would have a hard time uh, being able to, to lead block and to run block really well. But, from a, you know, you use more of that sort of, what do they call it, the juggernaut spread, uh, the smash mouth spread um, that, you know, Ohio State runs, uh, some of the other teams that are really, they're really run heavy spread teams, they use more of that H-back position. And it's just, it's more wham blocking where you're coming at angles instead of the straight up uh, lead blocker that you would have from an I formation lead block, uh, fullback, the, you know, sort of old school fullback that you would have. And so from that standpoint, you, you can use tight ends a little more in that way. And that's kind of sort of I thought USC wanted to do and how they're leaning but they kind of threw a curveball a little bit by bringing in a bunch of the walk-ons and having those guys actually play more of a traditional fullback position. So from the recruiting trail, 
we see the offer to Lund is maybe suggesting they still want to have some of those guys on the on the roster, uh, but we're just not 100% certain because one guy that's you know committed to Stanford certainly doesn't uh, develop your your board at that position very much. Well, we had a lot of questions, man. I didn't realize we we went over an hour. We're like hour and seven minutes right now. So, uh, but we the got people to... needed that though. We haven't yeah. done a recruiting podcast in a while. We had a lot of events and a lot of things go on. And quite frankly, we could probably have a podcast just about the opening. It's just one of those things that when we're at the opening, we're working our butts off, you know, going back and forth to the field <laughs> to multiple, you know, practices and everything. And we're out there all day, and then we get back, and then you know, we work eight hours during the day and then we have to spend you know four or five hours putting up the content that we got from the field and then when we're done with the opening i'm like all right i got a couple weeks that i can kind of chill out and take off so you know we don't have a lot of time to actually put up all the stuff that we have from the opening so um yeah it's uh that's why so yeah we got it all done in this this was a cynical podcast though this was a podcast where a lot of people had questions about Oh no, there's like sort of panic within the fan base. You can see people are starting to go, Oh, I'm not sure. We're not recruiting really well. Oh. And that anxiety just leads me to go, you guys realize we're in July. And so I go on a tirade about, you know, why recruiting at this point, uh, you don't need to get too worked up about it. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's definitely interesting. And, uh, I think with the new coaching staff, there's a lot of uncertainty. People aren't sure what to expect. You're not sure what to expect during this season. They're not sure what to expect during recruiting and they have a lot of questions. So it's good. We can get out there and, and talk about it. And I think, I think the recruiting podcast we do, Gerard, in December will be, there'll be a lot more information because you'll know what the season was. It could have been wildly successful. It could be, uh, mediocre. It could be a very poor season and how all of that impacts recruiting. And at that point, when you're talking December versus July, I mean, you're a lot more, you're a lot closer to signing day. So there's, there's just so much uncertainty. I guess that's why a lot of the fans have these kind of questions. Like this doesn't look like some of the USC teams that they're used to and even the staffs that they're used to compared to, uh, you know, obviously Pete Carroll had everything rolling, but there, there was a certain level of expectation with Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian, at least on the recruiting side too. And I think a lot of fans just aren't really sure what to expect from Clay Helton and his staff. Very true. I, and certainly the approach is, different than we've seen uh, specifically, like I said, on the defensive side of the ball uh, in terms of recruiting and, and sort of how they've done things. Um, a little different than we've seen with past staffs. This staff is definitely enamored more, I think, with out-of-state recruiting, especially in the South. There's definitely a feeling like, you know, a Southern three-star is as good as a West Coast five-star, which I don't agree with, totally don't agree with. But, you know, there's sort of seems to be a little bit of that mentality going on as well. And so, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, the proof is in the pudding and we'll see who they sign and, and how many wins that they can have. I will say this, just reading the pair style and sort of reading people's expectations, the expectations of the fan base are, are actually lower than they've been in, in quite a while, which is surprising to me. Um, you know, you, you kind of, I don't know. I, I'm just surprised. I mean, obviously USC has got a very difficult schedule, but a lot of people are talking about like, you know, this is a team that's going to have seven or eight wins and, that's sort of how it's going to be, which is which is good for us, you know, in terms of uh, having to deal with the message boards and having to deal with the meltdowns and people, you know, having high expectations and then those being crushed and they take it out on the message boards and us and, you know, canceling my subscription because USC is terrible and they don't do this and they don't do that. It's like, guys, we cover the team. We don't call plays. <laughs> you know what I mean? We don't do any of that. So if the expectations are low, people are not going to be as apt to go nuts 
on the message boards. Um, granted, there still will be those that you know that go nuts anyways. But uh, so that that that's been interesting seeing that you know a lot of people don't expect USC to start the season particularly well. I mean, I've seen a lot of people say you know we're gonna we'll probably start the season one of four, and then we'll have to figure out you know how good the team is from that point on, which is which is surprising. You know, I I, I personally think, and I'll go on the record now to say that I think Alabama is going to have their hands full with USC. I really do. I think USC is going to have a really good game against Alabama because I think, you know, this is with what we, if there's been one thing that's been consistent about USC with all the inconsistency they've had. It's the fact that they get up for those teams that people don't give them a chance to play well against. Uh, when people start to really doubt that USC is even in the same class as the top BCS programs, the top, you know, power five schools, when you're talking about Oregon, you're talking about Bama and those schools, when, when people just give them no chance, regardless of the coach and regardless of what's going on, they play well. Um, there's talent there. You know, that's why. Southern California produces a lot of talent. USC, even in the down years, still is going to recruit talent. It's just going to happen, even accidentally, even with bad recruiters. You're going to have talent on campus. And those guys, you know, when you tell them, yeah, you suck, you, you're a surfer kid, You've got no business playing football with these big Southern kids that they invented football. They usually come to play. All right. Well, good stuff, Gerard. Thanks for coming on. I hope everyone enjoyed the show. And uh, we're back at it. We'll be uh, trying to do a lot more of these. So if you have any more questions for Gerard, you can call us or you can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, and uh, we'll play them on the next time we have Gerard on, which should be more often now that things are getting rolling again. But thanks again for coming on, Gerard. Thank you for having me. Hopefully it was uh, 20% entertaining and 80% insightful. Yeah. That's what we shoot for on the podcast. I like that's a pretty good ratio. I do like that. So hopefully you guys were entertained and informed and hope you guys enjoyed the show. We're going to probably do one more podcast this week with Dan Weber talking some USC footballs. If you have any questions for Dan, send them in. Otherwise, you'll be back on the very next episode. Hope you enjoy the show and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.